AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Weather conditions are improving in Brazil. Just as winter weather deteriorates into a mess in the plains of the Midwest this week, we'll talk trends in used machinery prices and equipment demand, and we will get an update on the issues that are driving changes in the rural health care system. Live from Sakatumi Plaza via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. <laughs> this morning we begin with a conversation with Machinery Pete, Greg Peterson. Then it's Carrie Cochran McLean from the National Rural Health Association. And directly following the news, an extended weather update from Brett Waltz from BAM WX. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now the host of AgriTalk, Jeff Laurie. All right, Davis. Hey, yeah, buddy. How's it going this morning? Uh, super terrific. Really? Great. Yeah. Really? Did you get snow and then like rain and then more snow? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit of all of that? It was kind of like being in the Midwest, you know? It's awesome. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> all right. All right. Welcome to AgriTalk this morning. Glad that you are all joining us. Davis, do you smell that? Mm, let's see. Let's see. Smell, smells that crispy like, uh, smell. Huh? Yeah. yeah. It smells like perfection. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And it must be the South Dakota State University Jackrabbits and a perfect 15 and 0 season. Yes. And back to back in Division One FCS championships. Uh, beat Montana. Stomped Montana. Ooh. Stomped well, congratulations. Them. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Big congrats out to the Jackrabbits. And of course, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard, and maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't. But there's another football game tonight. There's no, there's more football. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, another it, a, another kind of a big game tonight. Okay. And it's a big game that. Yeah, I can say that. Say this on this network. It's a big football game that does not include an SCS team. Oh. <laughs> oh my goodness! Michigan versus Washington for the national championship tonight down in Houston. So you got to like Michigan for that. that, don't you? You like Michigan? Um, I like Washington. Okay. I, I didn't like Michigan get many, myself. I, yeah, it, there's there's uh Washington looked really really good in uh in the last game. That doesn't mean that they're going to perform that well in this next game, but well, they look I have no really basis. really good. I'm just being contrarian. I mean, if we right, both root right. for the same team, where's the sport in that, you know? Exactly. Hey, we better get to the news. Dude, National Weather Service Outlook, I'm just going to do go quick here. We're going to get more in just a moment. Major storm will produce widespread significant impacts over much of the United States this weekend. Meanwhile, a major winter storm will bring several feet of snow to the Washington and Oregon Cascades through tomorrow. Congress has reportedly reached a $1.6 trillion spending deal. The agreement, however, faces criticism from conservatives. And it's unclear if lawmakers can swiftly pass legislation to prevent a government shutdown. Chip, it's unclear this, if lawmakers can pass legislation at all. Right. Yeah, this is being being um, uh, marketed, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. by Congress as a decision. Yeah. And we are avoiding a government shutdown. We got a long ways to go with this before we avoid the government shutdown. Yeah, I think marketed is the right word there. Yeah. 
President Biden is preparing what is uh, what some are calling an ambitious second term agenda. But the success of many of his plans depend on the outcome of the congressional elections and the balance of power on Capitol Hill. Chip, I would say that goes for no matter who wins the presidency. Well, that that's exactly right. And yeah, no, I'm not going to. Several sources in the Middle East confirm to Shipping Watch that the first shipping lines have made agreements with the Houthis to prevent Uh, their ships from being attacked in the Red Sea. I don't like this one, Chip. When you start negotiating with the terrorists over there Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and the terrorists start, you know, uh, providing cover for some commercial lines, but not others, Mm -hmm. then you then then those terrorists start targeting very aggressively the commercial lines that are not paying for the cover through the red sea that's right this is it's going to deteriorate into a real mess mm-hmm. well chip the u.s state department launched a reward of up to 10 million dollars for information leading to the disruption of the hamas terrorist group's financial mechanisms and the arrest of key figures involved German farmers have launched protests against the government's plan to phase out subsidies leading to road blockages with tractors across that country. The main point of contention is the government's intent to eliminate two tax breaks that farmers currently benefit from. Yeah. Well, they're doing everything that they can in Europe to transform that agricultural system into yeah. um, in, into something that, you know, we've seen glimpses of it in Sri Lanka, for example. Yep. Uh, this is uh, the wrong path. Yeah. Well, and finally here, Chip, in Taiwan, voters will head to the polls on Saturday. That's January 13 coming up here. China increasing pressure on the island, particularly under the leadership of Taiwan's president, who is known for fostering an unofficial relationship with the United States. Awkward. All right. yeah. Uh, yeah, very awkward. All right. <laughs> thank you, Davis. Let's bring in Greg Waltz, MamWX.com. How are you, Greg? Hey, good morning, Chip. How are you doing? Uh, well, we're doing okay. A little anxious about the weather that's moving in, but let's start in South America. What uh, what are the weekend trends, and, and what have we got going forward? Yeah, so over the last uh, seven days or so, some really, really beneficial rains across parts of the main growing areas. Two to four inches of rain uh, across a, a pretty decent area. I will note over the weekend, rains verified a, a little bit more isolated than what some of the model data had had indicated. Uh, but nonetheless, certainly some some help uh, that has happened over the past week in many of those areas that were in desperate need of rain. I am concerned, though, you get back into the 6 to 10, 10 to 15 day time frame from now and it can start to warm up and dry back out a little bit uh, following some of these more beneficial rains in central parts of Brazil. Yeah, well, the the markets are certainly accounting for the rains and the forecast calling for some better or improved conditions ahead as well. No question about it there. Okay, we've got that storm out in the central plains. It's heading into the Midwest right now. What's the bullseye? Yeah, so uh, kind of two separate areas. The first one's across the western half of Kansas and southern Nebraska. Uh, That's where you're going to get a combination of maybe six to ten inches of snowstorm total. But I think the bigger story there is the wind. Blizzard warnings in effect for many of those areas, uh, talking about wind gusts 35 plus miles per hour. Secondary area that I'm watching for maybe eight to 12 inches of snow, southeast parts of Iowa. And then up into south central parts of Wisconsin, that's going to be where your where your heaviest snow with this storm is going to be. Okay, does the wind move to the east as well? Is that something that we have to watch for? 
It does. The wind's going to be gusty, but not quite as strong as areas further off to the west. So not quite into those blizzard warning criteria further off to the east. Okay. Uh, and the golf looks very unsettled for today. Yeah, you know, uh, that college football championship that you all were talking about down in Houston today, they're under an enhanced risk for severe weather, uh, wind, and maybe even a couple of tornadoes down there as we work into this afternoon and into this evening. And that spans along the Gulf Coast down into parts of Louisiana and Mississippi as well. Man, that is tough. And then right behind it, we've got another storm with some colder temps coming through this uh, late this week and into the weekend. Yeah, believe it or not, I think that the storm Friday, Saturday, and into Sunday is probably going to be even stronger than the one ongoing right now. It'll Mm. be a little bit further southeast, so I'd be watching Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, and up into Michigan for a very powerful storm system to work in. Probably some heavy snow in there. Exact storm tracks still to be ironed out a little bit, but for some of those areas, considering the lack of snow last season, probably one of the bigger storms we've seen in a couple of years. Wow, wow. Good stuff, Greg. Thank you so much, buddy. We'll talk to you again next week. Yep. Have a good one, Chip. All right. That is Greg Waltz, BAMWX.com. Brett Coming Waltz. up next, Brett. Did I say Greg? I said Greg. Was I calling him Greg the whole time? Yes. It's only been like two years since we've had. Sorry, Brett. Brett Waltz, BAMWX. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Machine repeat here, folks. This segment of AgriTalk brought to you by our friends at Dakota Ag Innovations, makers of Dakota Shine, the best way I've seen to fix faded paint. Go to dakotashine.com or call 888-996-7801. Welcome back to AgriTalk. Glad that you are with us on this Monday morning. Man, apologies to Brett again. Good grief. Uh, I Davis, I must have been so excited about the conversation coming up with Greg Peterson. Well, I think you were so worried about the weather, you know? Whatever that is, it's rolling in. Like, you can't even focus. It's fine, buddy. It's fine, but it's making me nervous. Well, this one does have me a little shook. i got to get to town and get another tank of gas here. Safety first. Safety Safety first. first. That's exactly right. Big thank you to Brett Waltz from BAM WX. Love that guy. Always does a great job with us every Monday morning. So uh, we appreciate his efforts there. Let's bring in Greg Peterson, Machine Repeat. How you doing, Greg? Hey, I'm doing pretty well, guys. How you doing this Monday morning? Doing real fine, real fine. You on the road again this week? Be careful out there. Oh, well, kind of yes and no. I'm just uh, across the town in Rochester. We're actually moving in the process of that. So it's uh, staying in town, but uh, not in the home yet, doing some demo work. So uh, 
kind of home, kind of not. Yeah, you know, limbo uh, land. There's a there's a lot of there's a lot of days where I think to myself, it would be great to be machinery P. It would be fantastic. Right now, in the middle of a move, I'm, no, glad you I'm think not going to think that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, my back is killing me. I'm so out of shape, and uh, oh man, you're getting old, I guess. But no, life is good. It's all it's all good. So I got Mr. Machinery Pete running the running the move. So I'm just uh, following orders there. So it's all good. Fantastic. All right, let's get to the pick of the week. It comes from Tennessee. Pick of the week, a pair of red tractors. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't parse them out. They gotta stay together. Okay. Uh pretty pretty amazing. Uh it was December twenty eighth, a farm auction in Palmersville, Tennessee, sale by Harris Real Estate and Auction Company. It's a retirement sale for Barber Farms. And they had a pair of Magnum tractors, which of course we've been talking for years now. These uh, you know, late eighties, nineties good condition tractors, whatever color, super strong. And they had a Case H 7140, low hours, 3,467 hours. That sold for $83,160, record price there. Uh, and ironically, the record, had, well, I guess not ironically, but just had been set December 7th on a farm auction in Richwood, Ohio at 79K. Okay. So here you are, you know, these magnums are what, from 87 to 93, so 30, 30 to 35 years old and, you get two records within three weeks. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the only record. There was also a 1990 model, the Case H 7120, mechanical front, 3,652 hours, went for 77,760. That was a record by almost 7,800 bucks. Uh, so pretty cool there. A uh, couple of popular older models, two yeah. records. Uh, there's some other nice red paint on that sale I should mention as well. Combine, they had a 2388. Not sure what year it was. And of course, the 2388s were made for about a decade there, 97 to 2006, something like that. But 2,537 engine hours, one for 64K, second highest auction price in 2023. And they also had a sprayer, a Case H Patriot 3320, 1,168 hours that came in at 103.680. So, yeah, quite Ooh. a sale there in Tennessee on December 28th. Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like it. Now, the that may have still been enjoying some of the end of the year buying, right? Demand for that yes. equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Tax motivated buyers. Yep. You put nice equipment they want in front of them before the calendar flips. You know, that's why I've been saying for about 25 years now that uh, yeah. if it were me, um, you know, about November 7th to, I guess, anywhere right through the end of the year, her uh, data has shown, I think, 19 of the last 20 years, values have gone up strongly. And they did again in 23, so. Right, right. Okay. Well, take us into this year. You had a couple of auctions that you were watching this uh, this past weekend. Yeah, Saturday. You know, it always takes a while for the, you know, the, the auction market to kind of get cranked up. But uh, January 6th, there was a little sale in Hillsborough, Ohio. Uh, my friends at Hess Auction Company, just a couple items of note, they had a little John Deere 5220 mechanical front tractor, 1,573 hours with a loader, went for 24.5. And then one I posted about uh, yesterday that got a lot of people talking was a sweet-looking 1963 Chevy 20 pickup, 68,588 miles. Actually, probably not a bad buy there. Looked really sharp, one for 10,000 um, bucks. And they also had a Kawasaki Mule 610 UTV. Only 343 hours for 4700 bucks. So sometimes I think chip on a really, really small sale where there's only like you know, five to eight items. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the 
pricing on those just because it doesn't have the mass to attract all the other interested right. bidders you can get pricing that might uh, be a slightly better buy than otherwise yeah. on a larger sale yeah yeah it, it those smaller sales seem to be if if you're going to show up for it there's an item on there that you're interested in if if there's a lot of equipment that's offered, yeah. the buyer might show up in that that mule that's sold for forty seven hundred. Yeah, somebody might have yep. looked at that yep. that was just kind of hanging out and saying, "No, that's too good of a deal. I'm going to step in and that one's going to be mine before this thing is done." Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. Yep. Yeah. There was also another sale Saturday out east. I was watching my friends at Rich and Rich Auctioneers. They do an awesome job in the North Carolina, Virginia area, and they had some a seller out of Cape Charles, Virginia, had some uh, tractors that were of interest. I thought a Kubota M9000, only 460 hours, went for 28,000 bucks. That was a front wheel assist. Uh, Case H7220, mechanical front, was 7,430 7, hours, went for 43.5. For Steiger fans out there, they had a Bearcat KM225, went for 16k. Not sure on the hours on that one. And a planner, a Kinsey 3500, 8-row 30 with seven splitters, uh, almost new uh, opening discs, went for 50K. And there was, I found this interesting, Chip, when I posted that one, I, kind of those two sales, along with all these other ones, um, this weekend and the end of last week, uh, we got a comment. I thought it was kind of interesting the other day. Yeah. Uh, John Fisher hopped on there and he said, I swear we're in Cuba. And nobody recognizes, nobody is recognizing it. And what, you know, he's talking about, you know, when we think of Cuba, of course, we think, you know, the folks there with an economy that was a little messed up over the decades and they can't get new. And so on the automobile side, we see pictures of them driving cars from the 50s. Right. And maybe, I think what John was getting at was this is maybe sneaking up on us here. It's like, demand well, for you know we talked about it with those magnums they're 30 yeah. 35 years old and bringing premium pricing so i thought that was an yeah. interesting comment well I, I tell you what it made me think uh spent a little bit of time uh, thinking about it, that over the weekend and and it uh when in in the simple fact that you don't even recognize it means that you're being drug into it uh you know it's the old right. how do you boil a frog you turn the water up slowly. You don't throw them into a boiling pot. Right. Uh, well, I, and I, the day, about six hours after that yeah. comment, and I was just like you. I was like, I kind of chewed on it. Yeah. The first blush, you think, you know, maybe it's just, you know, social media has a lot of comments, good, bad, positive, otherwise. But, you know, John was on to something there. And then on Twitter, I saw from from the egg space, there was a guy out there who was buying a new skid steer, and he purposely left off the names of the dealership and the brands, but was frustrated. And he said, uh, you know, I, I've been waiting three months for my new skid steer to come in. I had agreed to the price. I had a print quote and was told two weeks ago that it was built and on a truck. And it wasn't delivered till after the first of the year. And then when it was delivered, his dealer told him, Oh, you know, our manufacturer had a price increase. I'm going to have to ding another 1600 bucks. You can imagine the comment string on that on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sparks were flying forever. Mm-hmm. But to me, as I read that, you know, and I've been talking about, you know, especially coming off the pandemic when the supply chain got all gummed up, it actually gave manufacturers, equipment manufacturers, and all manufacturers, really, not just farm equipment, but it gave them unprecedented pricing power. 
Now, once you have that, you ain't going to want to give it up unless you have to. So we've had this just-in-time manufacturing process. It's not new. But now, you know, it's just like 10x, 20x. And now we flip the counter to 24, and there's pressure in the egg sector, corn and beans or where they're at. So, you know, there's, there's forces pushing against each other now. And I'll just be really interested because this chip, this gets to the nut of what I've been doing 34 years. Is you take all this together, yeah. now let's put something up for sale. And tomorrow, perfect example, there's a sale in Flora, Illinois, Schmidt Auction, great auction company. Check it out, folks, bidschmidt.com. Talk about nice equipment. Uh, retirement sale for Rutland Farms. They get a 2007 John Deere 9230. 5,073 hours and 8410, 6,386 hours, but they look like new. Yeah. 4960, 92 model, nice combine, the 2010 John Deere 9770. So we'll put them up for sale. We'll see how they sell. Prices fall where they fall, and it's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. There's going to be demand for that equipment there in, in Flora, Illinois. They're going to sell high. They, yeah, they are. I don't think there's any question yeah. about it. Greg, great stuff. Great perspective this week. Uh, We will talk with you again soon, buddy. Thanks. Hey, sounds great, Chip. Take care. You bet. That is Greg Peterson, Machinery Pete. We're going to talk the National Rural Health System next here on X. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Brian, not a really special week. Or a special way to start the week, is it? No, uh, pretty rough start here for the grain yep. and soy markets. Uh, pretty active uh, selling pressure um, here at mid-morning. And, you know, we, we traded lower overnight. Uh, but, uh, boy, we get to daytime trade here, and, and the sellers have, have really accelerated things. Uh, double-digit losses in soybeans. Um, you know, double-digit losses in the uh, winter wheat markets, uh, corn futures, uh, they're trading near their lows here and, and made new contract lows. And, yeah. and so everything's pretty negative. You know, the, the weather in, in uh, South America, generally favorable across uh, southern Brazil and, and Argentina. Um, northeastern Brazil, it had been dry, got some rains over the weekend, and it sounds like more rains are in the forecast for central and northeastern areas uh, over the 10-day period. So that's, that's negative. And then the crude oil market, it's more than $3 lower here at mid-morning. So, um, you know, we got all kinds of uh, pressure coming at the market. Yeah, I I don't want to hit on this too hard, but boy, the willingness of corn to trade lower at contract lows is not a a positive sign for that market for this week, is it? No, and and we're right at uh, just above the 450 level, so psychological support there. We'll see if that holds or not. Okay, take us over to the livestock trade. You know, it's kind of been all over the board aside from feeders. Uh, feeders, because of the weakness in the corn market, they've traded solidly to the upside and, and continue that here at mid-morning. Um, both live cattle and uh, lean hog futures have, have been on both sides of unchanged and pretty directionless trade. Uh, hogs are currently mostly to the upside and live cattle are mostly to the downside, though modest movement in both of those markets. All right, Brian, good stuff. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. That is Pro Farmer Editor. Brian Grady on Markets Now. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. 
The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. If the world is your oyster, we've got pearls of wisdom on AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. Davis, it seems like we, we need to do this checkup of what is going on in the rural healthcare system. Absolutely. Uh, two, three times a year just to make mm-hmm. sure that if for no other reason to make sure that it's a priority that stays in place for listeners and, and understanding exactly some of the pressures that the rural healthcare system is under, but also to, to get a better understanding of what the priorities are for those leaders in the industry and uh, what they are going to be lobbying for. In, in the year ahead as far as support goes and so on, and and to identify some of the trends that are out there. Let's do that right now. We've got Carrie Cochran-McLean. She is the Chief Policy Officer for the National Rural Health Association. She joins us now. Welcome to AgriTalk, Carrie. Good afternoon or good morning, depending on yeah. where you're located. Um, yeah. So nice to be here with you. I guess we're all probably still in mourning, right? Uh, here on, I'm here on the East Coast, but yes. Yes, excellent. Glad that you're here. Glad you're here. Okay, uh, the National Rural Health Association uh, meeting, annual meeting, is a little more than a month out uh, from its yep. annual policy institute. What What's the number one thing on the agenda for this meeting? Is it the the rural hospital closures? Is that the biggest priority issue? Yeah, you know, Chip, it really is. Um, yeah. We are raising a stink out here in Washington about kind of what we're seeing in terms of the status of our rural hospitals. We know that coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of hospitals um, really took a hit during that time. They did everything they could to provide um, services to the people in their communities. And now um, they're struggling. And we're continuing to see closures um, across the country. We're seeing states and uh, community facilities giving up their inpatient um, services in order to stay stay open in another model type. So we think it's really important folks here in Washington um, understand what's happening to hospitals um, and healthcare throughout our community, and they're doing something about it at the the end of this Congress. So... For for those locations, give them give give them a little perspective that are working with a, a rural hospital that is transitioning from the traditional hospital model into an outpatient model only. 
Is that a successful way to keep healthcare in rural settings? Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think this new outpatient model, it work, it's called the Rural Emergency Hospital. It's a great model in order to keep some level of access in a rural setting. So it will allow you to have an emergency room. It'll allow the community to still have kind of outpatient services, um, you know, uh, primary care services in their community. And that's fantastic. And we're very thankful that uh, Congress uh, created that model and now it's up and running. And we have about 18 of those um, new new kind of facilities throughout the country. Um, okay. But and that's good because keeping access is important. But I think our perspective is, in addition, we hate to see hospitals closing their inpatient units because they can't afford to keep them open and, and being forced to turn to this model. Right. So I don't I think it's kind of I think it's a both. That, um, and we want to make sure those facilities and communities that want to keep their inpatient care are able to do that. OK, this is a trend that we've been talking about with the folks that at NRHA for for years. Um, yeah. is, is it a trend that is accelerating? Is it slowing down? What What's the overall status? So it's a great question. So we saw kind of our record high numbers in terms of, we've been tracking this um, these closures since about 2005. And um, in 2018, 2019, leading up to the pandemic, we were seeing kind of the highest numbers of closure per year okay. that we had seen to date. During the pandemic, because there was some influx of federal dollars to help all facilities, not just rural facilities, kind of uh, make sure that they could provide care to the folks in their community, given everything that was going on, um, that influx of cash um, helped honestly keep some, uh, quite a few rural hospitals afloat for those two years. And now that those kind of uh, resources and support have dried up, um, we're back to seeing kind of record levels again. And if you're yeah. counting those facilities that had to give up their inpatient services in the number of closures, we're yeah. actually at a higher rate than we have been in past years. So it's not oh, getting God. better. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, yeah, that that is frustrating. Um, is it funding? Is Is that the number one issue or is it labor? It's both. I wish it. And this is why this this issue is so darn complicated is because it's not there's not one easy fix. Right. It is. It's workforce. It's labor. We know that it's hard to find the providers in these communities or to come to these communities. And we know that it, um, we're having to pay more, especially you heard all about those nursing shortages during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Salaries went up and those salaries have not gone back down. So um, part of it is a labor shortage and cost issue. Um, and you know what? Those those providers deserve the, the those dollars. So I don't want to put it on on um, on their um, doorstep by any right. means. But right. We need to do more to make sure that we're training folks from rural areas. We're recruiting folks to to rural areas and really investing in that workforce. And then it also is a reimbursement um, issue. Just um, not to get too wonky on you, but. You know, when we move to the way that we pay hospitals now, we call it a PPS or a prospective payment rate. Mm -hmm. Those rates were not made for small, low volume facilities. And so you just can't make the the bottom line um, always come together at the end of the day when you're talking about overhead costs and, and labor costs and that kind of thing. So 
we continue to really need some adjustments to the way that we are paying for healthcare in rural areas. And that's what we're we're trying to do through a whole slew of kind of proposals out in Washington. Okay. Yeah. Um, boy, the, the incentive, even the, the incentive that is required to get some of the providers, doctors, to um, split time between a more urban hospital. You know, I'm, I, I'm sitting up here in Northeast Iowa and I'm thinking about doctors that might share time with one of the hospitals in Waterloo and a hospital in Waverly. It, it mm-hmm. even to provide that kind of incentive is not easy and it, and need some programs to help make that happen. Right. That's right. Right. I mean, we, we expect a lot of our providers and it's yeah. a lot yes. to be on call 24 seven. It's a lot to continuously be moving around the state, going yeah. from place to place. If you provide specialty care or some other kind of um, service to your community. And so, yeah, we really need to be, um, you know, incentivizing and supporting those providers. I also think that investments in things like telehealth continue to be really important. Right. And this year in Congress in 2024, um, we'll be talking a lot about how we can continue some of those flexibilities and incentives um, for telehealth that we saw during the pandemic that were kind of eased up to make it easier to care for people we know that those worked. And so we want to make sure that we're changing some of the, the laws and regulations around that as well. So that's okay. another focus that we'll have in the coming year. Yeah. yeah I, I, telehealth is becoming, it, it's being used more and more often. I don't, I need an answer to the question. Is it becoming more popular? Just because it's used yeah. more often doesn't mean that it's popular. Is it working for the patients? It's a great question. So, it's really interesting um, that if you look at the data during the pandemic, again, a good a good time when we were using it in a way that it had never really been used before, urban areas used telehealth more than rural did. And I think part of that is a popularity comfort level, um, both for providers and patients in rural America. Part of it is continued challenges around things like broadband and the capital or the resources to be able to invest in bringing telehealth into your facility. So, you know, there are, there are a lot of different elements to kind of making sure that rural America is not um, is is kind of um, up to speed if you if if and when folks want to provide telehealth. And I think we also hear a lot that it can't be a replacement for in-person care. You right. know, so it's like a, it's a way to supplement. You know, you can see your provider and maybe instead of having to drive that distance or drive that distance for specialty care, you can do some of that um, through telling. And so right. I think it's a supplement to what we would be seeing normally in our communities. But, yeah, Perfect. it's a little bit of an adjustment, I think, for folks. Perfect. Perfect. OK, that emergency health care model that you were uh, yeah. that we talked about earlier. Where does rural ambulance service and the people, the EMTs that provide care in those ambulances, how, do, how does all that fit together? It's a great question. So um, all of these are great questions. Spot <laughs> on. So, you know, I, I talk a lot about rural hospital closures as a proxy for um, where we are in terms of the overall health of the rural health care system. But that those pain points that hospitals are facing face a lot of different types of healthcare providers in rural communities, including EMS. 
So EMS services also um, are continuing to struggle. And there's been some great data in the last couple of years that have shown the growing number of what we call ambulance deserts, meaning that there's there's no access or limited access to an ambulance in in big swaths of the country. So, you know, EMS and ambulance service is another area where we've been talking a lot about um, and we have bills uh, uh, teed up around supporting kind of the payment to support ambulance um, services themselves and then supporting and training the EMTs. Um, So that's another critical area. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Carrie, we need to stay in touch after you have your... uh, yeah, after you have your national meeting here coming up next month, let's go ahead and get together again and, and get an update on the situation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Take care. All right. That is Carrie Cochran McLean, Chief Policy Officer, National Rural Health Association. Davis and I will be right back. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. We don't make the news, we render it. Agritalk. And welcome back to Agritalk, everybody. Your pal Davis Michelson here. Monday morning. Chip Flory? Yes. It is Monday, right? Monday? Uh, let me check. Yep, Monday. It's just the weeks have been so weird. I never yeah. know anymore. Well, it's there. It's not going to get any easier anytime soon. It, it, it's another... Uh, uh, three-day weekend for the markets coming up. Oof. Okay. Yeah. Oh, is it? It's uh, Martin Crazy. Luther King Jr. Martin Day, Luther right? Martin Luther King Jr. Day on next a uh, week from today, yeah. A week from today. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, well, you know, we'll get our groove back. We'll be fine. You think? I think so. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the uh, conversation with Greg Peterson, Machinery Pete, um, I was hearing echoes of our conversation last week um, with Dr. Jim Mintert. Was that just last week, I believe? Yeah. Uh, talking about the Purdue CME Ag Economy Barometer. Mm-hmm. And some of those, uh, the inventories do seem to be moderating prices to some degree on machinery and implements here. Mm-hmm. He saw it, and now we've got Pete here. I mean, still solid prices. But yeah. we're not hearing, and, well, you know, Chip, this beat the record by $50,000. <laughs> you know, we're not hearing that anymore. This doubled the old record. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> and, and Greg talked about how that uh, how the dealer inventory and how dealers are changing how they manage yeah. that inventory 
how that's having an effect on the auction system and and machinery prices in general. It it used to be that if the inventory started to come onto the dealer's lot, what did they do? They let that inventory build and build, and they were financing that. And those financing costs at the dealership were being passed on to consumers, the, the buyers of that equipment. The, the inventory is greatly improved for most items, not all items, but for most items. Mm. But the way that the dealers are managing that inventory is changing. They're not letting this big, huge inventory accumulate on their lot. Instead, they're using the auction system and moving that product, trying to turn it over more quickly. Uh, and moving that product through some of the consignment sales and so on. So that's interesting. Yeah, they're they're being very aggressive in their inventory management this time mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. things have changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I want to ask you about this. Uh, we're s- switching gears pretty hard here, but uh, okay. this from the news: the annual gathering of the nation's top economists brought mixed sentiments. On one hand, they relieved the U.S. is seemingly on track for economic growth in the short term instead of facing a recession. However, Their concerns shift toward the long-term outlook and whether growth will surpass pre-pandemic levels. They find themselves perplexed by their earlier failure to anticipate what appears to be a, quote, soft landing. Chip, did I hear over the weekend or maybe on Friday last week, did I hear Janet Yellen call it a soft landing? She says the soft landing is in and this is it. Did I mishear that? You know what? I don't know. that, That could be exactly right. I mean... You know, we started talking about this a couple of months ago, maybe even longer than ago uh, than that. When I made I made the comment that it it almost feels like not only is it a soft landing, but uh, it feels like somehow, some way, the Fed is maneuvering the seven forty seven into landing on a football field. Right. You know, and yep. it it uh, I caught some crap for for saying that. Uh, in in it made me rethink things. Some of the constructive feedback that I received Ooh. on that made me rethink things. And but it, it and the the reason that I was rethinking it is because just because the general economy and most areas of the economy might be feeling a, a generally soft landing doesn't mean that it's it's soft everywhere. Some areas are absolutely messes. True, and it's the affordability that is are is creating high anxiety mm-hmm. in in lower, middle, and upper middle class America. Yep. yep. It's uh, this soft it, landing brought to you by the good folks who brought you transitory inflation. Am I right? It, Yes. Yeah. So now the question, you know, they messed the, they, they, they started so late on the management of the inflation. It just, it makes you wonder how they're going to manage this soft landing going forward. Um, it, seven interest rate cuts as mm-hmm. was being talked about a couple of weeks ago in 2024. Yeah. 
Yeah. It seemed seemed ridiculous to me at the time. Seems really ridiculous to me now in that that would not be managing an, an economy going forward. That's just like um, that that would have, would have been like, okay, look at us. We stopped inflation or we slowed inflation to an acceptable level. That's mm-hmm. the better way of saying it. There you go. Uh, so we we've accomplished that. Let's reward everybody with some some policy, some mon- some monetary policy that will change that that will add fire back to the inflationary pressures. At mm. the same time that we're dealing with a Congress that has shown no fiscal restraint and the willingness to slow spending. Now that might show up, mm-hmm. but to this point we haven't seen it. So let's see what shows up here before the 19th and before the 2nd and to see if if, if this fiscal restraint is something that's being shared across the board or not. I doubt it, Davis. Don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, restraint is a bridge too far, Chip. Yeah. Yeah. I... They still like spending money. Everybody likes spending money. I do. I admit it. I admit it. They're going to spend money. Uh, It's going to be uh, the battle is not over, even though Schumer and Johnson have come together and said, listen, we've got a deal. The battle is not over on this spending. Thanks for listening this morning. You've got to come back this afternoon. We're going to talk about risk management. Brian Bassing from Advanced Trading is our guest this afternoon on Agritalk.